Welcome back, goddesses, to another episode of Awaken My Soul podcast, a sacred space where we discuss what makes your soul come alive in and out of the bedroom. This is your host, Melissa McEwen, founder of Awaken My Soul, woman's sacred sex and everlasting love coach, certified holistic health coach, pleasure priestess, vlogger, and kitchen Looking forward to sharing the juiciness of this episode with you. Just a heads up for all of my beautiful listeners, this episode was recorded previously to the current Black Lives Matter movement. So please keep in mind that the topics that we talk about were um, previous to those situations. Still honoring what is going on in the world. Um, I am not promoting this episode at the moment online, but for my loyal listeners, I wanted to make sure to still show up for you guys that are wanting to hear um, this content that will serve you no matter what's going on in the external world. Sending you guys all so much love and shall we all rise. Let's keep this vision of us moving together forward as a humanity uniting as a whole. Sending you guys so much love and I hope this episode serves you. Katie Iredale is a passionately driven entrepreneur who travels the world photographing humans in love. Katie's photography brand specializes in small intimate weddings and destination elopements. Katie also lives a life in recovery and finds great fulfillment in helping others achieve sobriety. Welcome to Awaken My Soul podcast, Katie. Oh, thanks, Melissa. I'm so glad to be here. So happy to have you. I feel like this podcast is going to have a different, different energy than the ones in the past. So I'm really excited to explore this conversation with you as we've been friends for over 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> How old are we? 27? 27. So. 28. I'm 28. Yeah. It's been a long time. I remember you and Alex walking around the what are the the pod <laughs> yeah the pod like the lunchtime yeah hang out just little kids just little kids and now we're grown up and we have our own businesses it's so cool yeah who would have thought <laughs> <laughs> so the first question I love to ask is what awakens your soul hmm. humanity and like really compassionate acts you know people helping other people um, love and connection and love and connection out in nature. I mean, all of those seem to go hand in hand with one another, I feel. Mm, and it's so beautiful that you are doing that for your career. Like you're outside creating magic with people in nature and all over the world. Yeah, it's funny when I'm shooting, I think maybe I did this with your shoot too, but when I'm, especially when I'm at the beach, I will have, sh I could have shot at the beach, you know, a thousand times. And if I see a dolphin or if I see something crazy, I just repeatedly, I'm like, oh my God, look, oh my God, look, like, you know, <laughs> I love it. Mm. And I did my engagement shoot with you and it was the most 
I want to say magical, just the most like fun I've ever had on a photo shoot. And I come from a background of modeling. So that says a lot. Um, and the way that you did it was you, you, it felt like I was like a naughty being really not like, it was just it was so fun and silly. Like the things you would say to us be like, nuts to butt, nuts to butt. <laughs> you'd get us laughing. You'd get us like cracking up. Like I felt all of the high vibrations on that shoot and it was definitely an evening to remember. So thank you for oh, that. I'm so, so glad. Yeah, it's all about, you know, having fun, disarming the couple and being a kook, <laughs> which I'm good at. <laughs> yeah, I love that about you, especially how you really have that ooze out of your work and how that's like even in your bio like let's get goofy and you're just really human and I love how that just comes through everything you do oh thanks yeah so add that to my bio let's be human <laughs> let's be human together yes so for anyone out there who needs a photographer for anything romance whether it's an elopement wedding a date night an engagement shoot, Katie is your woman. <laughs> highly, highly recommend that. So <laughs> how, like, if you were to describe this, like, what made you want to become a photographer? What was that journey for you like? Hmm. Like starting from the beginning or you said in a few points? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I want to know as much as you're willing to share with that. Um, okay. I'm going to try to... <clears throat> keep it like semi-brief um but I do know that it started you know back being a kid with a camera I have the most ridiculous like selfie that I took in my grandma's kitchen when I was like an overweight 12 year old and I had this disposable camera <laughs> and we do it all the time now because we have iPhones with like the front facing cameras and you you turn on your phone and it's on the front facing camera and you're like, oh shit, <laughs> whoa. <laughs> but this is with a disposable camera. Um, and I just know like from a young age, I loved taking photos of myself and of my friends. And we would go on adventures and I would take, you know, photos of my friends out in nature. Um, and as I got older, I, I would always just take photos with my phone um and then i would edit them like on the little apps that they offer and um when i was you know a little bit before i got sober in 2017 one of my mom's friends told me to come to her house and she wanted to give me a camera and i put it off for like quite a while until one day i was like I, she lives on Bonzel, so I was like, oh, so far, you know, <laughs> even though I think at the time I lived like off Guahomey, <laughs> so it really wasn't far, and uh, she gave me this camera, and I had, it's a manual camera, so I had no idea how to use it, and it probably sat for like, you know, six months to a year, <clears throat> and then, you know, I was dating John, and he's big in the surf world, and so we did he was always in a lot of, you know, content creation projects. And I kind of would observe that he had this friend from <clears throat> um, Canada, John Rathwell, who was his photographer. And John and his wife, Tracy, stayed with my John. 
and they would go take photos every single day. And one day, my friend Bliss asked me to take photos for her. And I was like, no, sorry, <laughs> can't do it. And she just kept pushing me and pushing me. And I kept saying no. And John was like, dude, just do it. I'll go with you. So I went, I had no idea how to shoot in manual and we took some photos. They turned out pretty decent. They were great at the time. Looking back, they're really bad, but I edited them. I edited them on my phone. I probably texted them to her and she has this semi-large following with um, in the fitness industry. And so when she posted the photos, people started hitting me up for photo shoots. And I was like, oh shit, <laughs> I don't even know how to use the camera. Like I have, I have no clue. So I started photographing her clients, I guess, who became my clients. I made up numbers to charge them and I bought a second camera and I would go to these photo shoots with like two cameras that I didn't know how to use. And I would try to direct these people to like pose. It was really bad. So anyway, this kind of, you know, went along. And as we do, I got better over time and I shot everything from like families to boys and girls club um, events to births to maternity shoots. And I remember my first time I ever photographed an engagement session, I was just lit up. I was like, this is it. Like I have arrived. Oh my God. I know what I'm going to do forever. And, um, the photos actually came out pretty good. Uh, and then the day after that, I actually shot my first wedding as a second shooter. I worked under another photographer and I really was not a fan of the way that she interacted with her clients and the people at the event. And I just thought, wow, like if she's doing this and doing such a bad job, <laughs> I can for sure do this. And, um, and so I actually only second shot as a photographer two times. And ever since then, it just has, you know, expanded into something I for sure never thought was possible. And that's kind of like how it started. I think that's what you asked. <laughs> Yeah, it's incredible to see how it begun as a child with that image of you that you're like, this is super silly. And then you manifested a camera from your mom's friend. And then from there, Bliss reached out to you wanting photos. And that led into more fitness photography. And then one day, you just fell in love and were like, this is it. Like, it's so incredible how you follow that curiosity and then you find what really lights you up. Yeah. And now your business is blown up. <laughs> it, I, I just remember thinking like, like I had a really shitty job. I hated, I hated the job, um, but I was emotionally attached to the workspace. I worked with my best friend and a great family friend and I had been there for years and it was very comfortable even though I was miserable. And, you know, when I first picked up the camera, that was in uh, September of 2017. That's when I did Bliss's photo shoot. In December of 2017, I started doing family sessions. And then everything between December 2017 and June 2018, 
was very bad, but I went full time, strangely enough, in June 2018. And I made more money in June 2018 through the end of the year than I would have for that whole year at my office job. And I was not even good. And I just thought, holy shit, like people are willing to give me their money, like however much I tell them to like document, you know, these moments in their lives. And I was not even good yet, but I was, you know, increasingly passionate about, about it. And, um, I started just getting better and more comfortable in my own skin. And so it just obviously blew up because I was passionate and I was driven, but I think my whole life, I always thought like someday someone's going to like me enough to give me an opportunity that's going to change my life. And I just always thought it was going to be somebody else. You know, I never thought, Oh, it's going to be you, Katie, like you're going to give yourself this opportunity. It's going to present itself and you can take it or, you know, or blow it. <clears throat> so far I haven't blown it. Uh, wow. There's so much there. I love how you said that that person is you, that you gave yourself that opportunity and that you always had this outlook that something is something big is going to happen. And I think that perspective is so magical because when you really believe that you're going to create that and to know like, no one's going to save me. Actually, I'm going to save myself. Yeah. And that, I mean, I think you know, a lot of people, even like during this pandemic, uh, you know, failure has crossed my mind a lot of times, but when you don't accept it as an option or, or, you know, it's like possible, but you know, that failure doesn't mean the end. You just know that it means like a different direction is going to approach soon. So for me, and like, you know, with my faith in a, in a God of my own understanding, I know, and I knew then whatever happens, like I'm going to be taken care of and I don't know what's going to happen. I sure as hell hope it's going to be freaking good because I'm all about good shit happening. But you know, I just, I, it's interesting. I never would have expected for this to come of, of it, you know, just crazy. Yeah. And now you're starting a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is my first one ever. How am I doing? Oh, yay. I'm honored. <laughs> <laughs> So we recently connected about podcasting on the phone and in that conversation, I brought up sobriety because I really look up to you in that, in that realm, especially, would you mind sharing with us your journey to sobriety and how long you have been sober? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> it's interesting the week you, well, I guess I reached out to you about the podcast. And then you brought up sobriety at the end of the call. And it's interesting because that same week, I think that was a week ago, I had had like four other at length conversations with other people who do not identify as an alcoholic who are having trouble like quitting drinking. And, you know, it's, it's really interesting. And <clears throat> so my sobriety well, let's see, I got sober in April, April 29th, 2017. So I just hit three years. Um, and leading up to it, whew, sorry, there's a bug. <laughs> um, 
you know when you're talking and a bug like flies up your nose and yes. you're just like oh, God, where did it go <laughs> which one uh, I think I feel it <laughs> it's like in your sinuses <laughs> um so yeah I you know I mean you know me and in high school I was quite the party animal um I come from a family of alcoholics my parents are sober they've been sober for like 33 years each um and they met in recovery way back in the day and I started drinking and using when I was 14 and I thought it was cool I wanted to be cool um and you know we really coming from a family of alcoholics it, it only was a matter of time. And unfortunately for me, it didn't take very much time. Like as soon as I started using and drinking, it was bad fast. Um, I was doing, you know, tons of drugs with older people when I was like 14, 15, 16 years old. Thinking back now, it's just wild that these people like would give me drugs and a lot of them like all the time super weird and uh so you know i <laughs> i took the proficiency exam when i was 16 years old i had a 21 year old boyfriend who was also an addict and lived in a really dysfunctional you know household and here comes lola <laughs> <laughs> clackety clack <laughs> just tap dancing uh, <clears throat> and it like I had enough drugs by the time I was 16 that like I could no longer walk up a, a flight of stairs without becoming too lightheaded and like potentially like passing out and um you know I would drink to black out I would do ridiculous things I was a liar and a thief and basically like kind of a piece of shit <laughs> and um when I was 17 I found yoga and I now know that I had a spiritual experience and I'll talk more about like the spiritual aspect of alcoholism as I go on, but essentially alcoholism has a huge, it, it really has to do with a spiritual malady, a God-sized hole, if you will, that most people are really unaware of. And it's like our need to like fill up that God-sized hole with outside things whether it be alcohol shopping sex food you know whatever makes us high so when I started doing yoga when I was 16 17 I um I got that high like I remember like shaking from happiness like my vibration was lit <laughs> and I ended up taking this um journey to become a yoga teacher and I did 500 hours of training and during that time I like didn't drink or do drugs which was really bizarre um I did smoke weed every day <laughs> so there's that um that's a you know different debate but <clears throat> I didn't drink and I didn't do drugs until basically I moved to Vegas to be with my old boyfriend Ross who was in the military. And once I went there, I never did yoga. I don't think I did yoga one time when I lived in Vegas. So I did all that training. I had that whole experience. And then I moved to Las Vegas into this toxic, bad relationship with, you know, in a military 
like environment where the party was on. We were in Las Vegas and it was just crazy. And that obviously didn't last too long. It lasted like 11 months. And once that was over, I came back to California and like I hit the ground running at the bars. That was all about the bars. I would go first. It was like Thursday, Friday, Saturday, then it was Sunday too. And then it was just like all of the time. And mind you, at that time I was like 21. I don't think I was doing a lot of drugs at that point, but I was drinking a lot very often. And, um, and then that went on for years, you know, and I would just get involved with like toxic losers and I would hang out with friends that we would only hang out if we were drinking. I was all about the party and I always wanted to have fun. Like, like if we're just at dinner, so I was also a stoner. So it was like, I'm either about like smoking a bunch of weed and like eating a bunch and going to sleep or like not smoking a bunch of weed, not eating a bunch and drinking a ton and having a great time. So there's like two different, you know, effects that I'm trying to achieve just depending on the day and the situation. And toward the last couple of years, I mean, you know, the drugs came back into the picture, mostly cocaine. Um, and it just started getting, I got laid off from a job in 2016. I was 23 years old and I just started, I like, I pulled my TV out of my bedroom at that old big house we used to live at. And I pulled this recliner into the living room and I put the TV in front of the recliner and I sat there and I drank and I ate edibles by myself, but I didn't want to do it in my room because I felt like that was bad. And I did that for like weeks. And then, you know, I had this person I was seeing at the time who was also unemployed, we would just go out and we would just get loaded all of the time. And all of my relationships revolved around getting loaded, getting loaded. And so, you know, fast forward that fall, it got really bad. And then the following um, January 1st, 2017, I was driving home from a night down in San Diego doing drugs and drinking. And I was driving on the freeway and I had my first you know, what I would call alcohol withdrawal induced seizure, um, where basically I started to feel like, I started to feel like I was going freaking 75 on the freeway. And then all of a sudden my face started tightening up and my hands started tightening up. And I thought, oh God, what's happening? Pulled over. It felt kind of like what I would imagine a stroke mixed with a seizure feels like and like intense convulsing my face was like completely stuck. My hands were completely stuck and just trembling like crazy. And that probably went on for like three to four minutes. Um, at which point I ended up in the ER and basically they just told me like, Oh, like we're just going to prescribe you some Xanax. And I was like, I don't take Xanax. <laughs> so I went home and I got some liquid Xanax from my friend, my roommate. And, uh, then started taking that. And you would think after that experience, oh, so I left the ER and this situ this thing happened two more times the same day. Like I seized up. It was crazy. It was horribly painful. The most painful thing ever I've, that I've ever experienced. And um, so that you would think I would stop drinking after that, you know, but I didn't. 
obviously I got sober in April. So it's like four months later. And there was just a handful of really bad situations that happened in between, you know, January 1st and April 29th. And, but my last drink was just, you know, a Thursday at Mission Ave Bar and Grill <laughs> in a started there by myself brought my laptop to look like a, a working professional just having a drink after work a long day at the office and I had five drinks in between 7 p.m and 12 a.m and they were all vodka Tito's and water with a lime and I had five of them and then there may have been one or two shots after that. Not sure. Seven drinks is very low for me. I blacked out, puked all over my best friend's brother's car, was carried into my room, woke up in, you know, drowning in my own vomit, basically. I'm a puker. I threw up about 50 times and all over the floor, all over my bed and all over myself. It's quite the, quite the vision for you. And uh, I had to call my parents this time because I didn't have health insurance. And the last time the bill was large. And so I was, I called my mom and they nursed me back to life. And um, I had the seizing again that time. And uh, basically the next day I smoked a joint in my parents' backyard with my best friend. And then the following day, which was a Saturday, I got sober, <laughs> really random. But a lot of things had been leading up to it. Like my body just kept reacting really bizarre to alcohol and my friends and I would be like, maybe something's wrong. Like maybe you should get your liver checked. Maybe something's wrong with your kidneys. Maybe something's wrong with you. Maybe something's wrong with you. And like come to find out like, Hey, I'm totally an alcoholic and I have an inflamed liver. My liver was inflamed for over a year after I got sober. And so I had just really destroyed my body it was time. Unfortunately, <laughs> I was still having a lot of fun, but it came to a screeching halt there physically. And so I was forced, <laughs> mm. I was forced to get sober. As a friend from the outside, I had no idea that this was going on. I, I knew that like we would get together, we would drink sometimes, but I had no idea that, you know, this was, what was happening, you know, um, to know that you discovered yoga and that kind of like clear, like showed you what was possible. And then to go back into chasing the high and then moving to Vegas and then moving back, hitting the ground, running with the bars, always chasing the fun and, and the seizures, like I had no idea that happened. Like that's the first time I'm ever hearing that story from you. And to know that your mom nursed you back to health after the ER, knowing that she herself has also, you know, been free of this for a while. Like, what was her response? How did she respond to this? Well, <clears throat> I mean, they knew. It, for me, it was hard because like you said, like you and I would hang out, we would drink. I was always fun. Like I could always handle my alcohol. And from a young age, my dad had told me, it's not you we were ever worried about. It was my brother who you probably also know is, you know, a very low bottom, bottom of the barrel drug addict. Like, um, and I never did heroin. I never did meth. Those seemed too dirty and gnarly and dangerous to me. 
but you know, I would do oxycotton and I would snort Adderall. So it's like, I would justify my behavior and think, you know, it's not that bad. It's not that bad. And so I would always tell my parents, like, I'm fine. Like, like the unmanageability wasn't clear to me. And I'm, I have the ability to be very elusive. And additionally, I feel that when you're, when you're struggling with alcoholism and addiction, you're delusional. And so, you know, we took, you and I took tons of courses of personal development. We've both done the yoga thing. I was totally convinced that I was like an honest person with integrity and I was like, sure about that. But the truth is, is I was really full of shit, like completely fucking full of shit. <laughs> and no idea because I was delusional. And so anyway, your question was, um, I think that I was probably relieved. I mean, my parents now know everything and they did know a lot at that point too. I was very open um, with my experiences, but I think I was always defending that I had things under control. And so at that point, it was obvious that I no longer had things under control. And I mean, being like a 24-year-old, you know, like a young woman and sitting naked in a bathtub, having your mom like brush vomit out of your hair, um, that was dried from like the 50 times the night before that you like projectile puked in your sleep is you know uh, <laughs> it's a it's a level of low that i you know haven't since had to experience but she i mean they've they've you know my parents got sober when they were like 27 and 30 and <clears throat> well my dad is actually 40 i guess um and they've grown up in sobriety so they know this is what it is what it looks like you know, it wasn't like completely fucking crazy to them. It was just like, wow, this is really hard, I think. Hmm. Wow, that's a lot that I didn't ever hear from you before. So to know that, <laughs> know that your parents are very compassionate and they just wanted to nurse you back to health is so sweet. And to know that they were there for you, it's incredible. Do you feel like you needed to go to that I don't want to say bottom, but do you feel like you needed to go to that depth in order for you to find the freedom that you have now? Unfortunately, because I, there's no, like, I wouldn't have stopped drinking if I didn't have to, but it was the vomiting in my sleep, I think was the most frightening. I think I was willing to test the possibility of having the seizures because I had only had them, you know, three times, like in 11 years. And so <clears throat> I was willing to test that, but I think the vomiting in my sleep is really what started to freak me out. Um, because I know that that's how you die. <laughs> mm. And, you know, mixing drugs and alcohol, freaked me out, but I was willing to test that because I had worked so many times. Drinking and driving is dangerous and you can hurt yourself and many others. I was willing to test that because I had done it so many times. But once the vomiting in my sleep started, I was just like, like I was dating this heroin addict and he woke me up one day and told me, you just projectile 
kicked across the bed and it hit me in the face. <laughs> oh my goodness. And I was like, I didn't care because I was like, dude, you're the loser. You're the loser here, you know? <laughs> mm. So, you know, it, it was time, unfortunately. So yes, I do think that I did have to get to that bottom because doing shit we love, why would I stop? I was having fun. It was my, my thing. It was my, my, what defined me essentially. I had nothing else going on. Um, except for being like the life of the partier. So I thought. Hmm. So do you still find yourself wanting to go to parties or bars or any of these things or have, has your life completely shifted and now your relationships, everything has shifted? Hmm. <laughs> everything has changed. Um, in the beginning, I was still really attached to the life that I was living, but I knew you know, by obviously like physically, I could no longer drink, even if I was still addicted to alcohol and that style. Um, so at first I would go to bars still and I would just be sober and I wouldn't have fun because I didn't have the, um, liquid courage. I didn't have that social lubricant. I was crawling in my own skin. Like I was so uncomfortable just being anywhere sober <laughs> you know you've been loaded for 10 years so showing up just sober in these social situations is just not not comfortable and um and then you know i did start i was attending recovery meetings and i started to change a little bit um they say the only thing that has to change is everything and i was just like fuck that like these are my friends, you know, this is my lifestyle. But slowly as, you know, I got more sober and my life did start to change a bit, I became completely uninterested in that lifestyle. It became very unattractive to me. And so now I for sure have zero interest to participate in any sort of part. <laughs> I'm definitely a homebody I wouldn't call it a loser, but my preference would be to be either in my house with my partner, a great friend, or just my dog. And that is happiness to me. Mm. When I talked to you last week about no longer drinking alcohol, I had already made the decision to start witnessing my stories around it and my attachments to alcohol because I found that it was showing up as people pleasing, like going over to a certain person's house. The first question would be, do you want anything to drink? And my natural response would be yes, because I don't want to be that person or did not want to be that person that was making people feel uncomfortable and all of that. But now I'm like, F it. Like I'm going to put my spirituality, my physicality and my energy for the rest of my life before people pleasing. And I haven't had a drink since Mother's Day, which is, is big for me because I've had multiple instances to say yes. Like we talked on the phone, like I wouldn't say I'm an alcoholic, but I would say it has caused problems in my life energetically and to really show up in the big way that I want to. This feels like something that has to stay gone. Mm -hmm. So for anyone out there that is 
feeling their attachments or feeling that they don't want to be that person that stops drinking for whatever reason, like what would you say to them to help them realize that they can do it? Like what would you have wanted to hear when you first started this journey? Um, that's a good question. I, um, I mean, you know, three years sober, if you meet a new person, if I meet a new person and I tell them that, you know, they offer me a drink and I say no, or say, I don't drink. It's like I have a disability or like there's someone in the room that just got diagnosed with like stage four cancer. Like, it's like the weirdest fucking thing. People think if you're sober, you're like, like a handicapped person or like they need to like take special care of you or something, (laughs) or they need to act differently because they don't want to like harm your sobriety or whatever it is. People have all these preconceived notions about how they need to treat people in recovery. We're just regular people um, that have decided to stop drinking and taken whatever action necessary to maintain that. But I, I think when you're newly sober, I mean, especially if you're going to keep the friendships and relationships, it's simply just got to be about setting the boundary and sticking with it and not succumbing to peer pressure because it's so easy. It's so easy to, to on Sunday decide, you know, I don't want to drink this week. And then on taco Tuesday, your best friend's like, dude, come on, don't be boring. And you're like, yeah, okay. I don't want to be boring. And then you want to drink too. Duh. It's fun. That's why people do it. They don't drink, you know, we drink because we're fun. I mean, because it's fun, (laughs) because it makes me fun. (laughs) Without alcohol, what am I? You know, yeah, I'm me. And and we have a really hard time showing up just how we are, especially if we haven't learned how, especially if we've learned how to show up with alcohol as a buffer. So I think, you know, taking the extra time to remind yourself like, hey, I've decided that I don't want to drink, even if it's just today at this one event, and sticking with it, like you will survive. People don't actually, everyone's fucking thinking about themselves. So if someone says, oh, come on and drink, and you stick with your decision not to drink, that person is going to forget, and they're just going to fucking think about themselves for the rest of the night. They're not thinking about you not drinking. And that's what I think people are so, we're so wrapped up in like what everyone's thinking, thinking about you. (laughs) They're thinking about themselves. So once I realize everyone's just thinking about themselves they're not thinking about me Mm. it it made it a bit easier it's so interesting how normalized alcohol has become to be a form of bonding with people but looking back on it it's like as everyone's gathering for shots it's like is anyone really even enjoying that everyone's grabbing a chaser and look at their face it's horrible it's instant toxins entering your body and your body is generally not wanting it at least for me it doesn't want it and to to look at all the relationships where alcohol is usually normal you know whenever we hang out it's like looking at those relationships like how would those relationships be without alcohol like why is why is that necessary for bonding right and it's like those people probably aren't even the right people if that's needed they're they're not in my life anymore (laughs) There's a, there's a select handful, maybe five or 10 friends, you know? Um, but 
yeah, a bunch of sober people aren't going to stand around some dirty ass counter, spend all this money to take this disgusting drink and like force themselves to get the and that, you know, the stink face and plugging your nose and having to chase it. And it's like, if that didn't produce an effect, no would do it. Which is really interesting because obviously there's alcoholics, there's problem drinkers, there's moderate drinkers, and then there's people who are just like social drinkers who just do it like can have a one or two or one, <laughs> you know, which is a joke to me. But it's like we're at some level, we're all drinking to achieve the effect or else we wouldn't drink, I don't think, you know? We're doing it because it does something to us that we like. And if you're a problem drinker or an alcoholic, once you have, alcoholism is interesting. It's like, it's body, mind, and spirit. It's a spiritual malady. God-sized hole I talked about. It's a physical allergy that once I take a drink, the phenomenal craving kicks in. And then it's a session. So once I've taken a drink and that, that phenomenon of craving kicks in, then my obsession becomes completely fixated. A lot of people probably relate. Like if you're eating, if you get 12 donuts and you're eating one donut, but you know there are four of your other favorites in the box, are you really enjoying that donut? Or are you thinking about the other donut? I'm thinking about the other donuts because I have that, you know, <laughs> addiction to like, food as well as alcohol and drugs. I'm not enjoying the drink I'm having now. I'm thinking about the next one. Think about this night going to go. What are we going to do later? Like, let's make this fun. You know, I, I, need escape. I need to escape my insecurities, my boring self, you know, the extra weight that I think I have that I really don't, you know, the, the fear of looking stupid or not being sexy or being able to dance. I want to ditch all of that, take some drinks, some fun, and then every time overshoot the mark, mm. which is I do. <laughs> mm. Something I wanted to touch on was that alcohol is essentially a spirit, right? And when we think of the word spirit, we're thinking like soul, but alcohol back in the day was used as extraction to essentially create like vanilla extract or essential oil extract. But when we have alcohol, it creates such a toxic environment that our soul is not tolerant in that environment and will literally leave our body. And there have been clairvoyant people. There have been people that see spirits that will literally see dark energies and evil spirits waiting outside of bars, hovering over people that are intoxicated, waiting for their moment to go inside their vessel to take over. That's when we see drunk driving, fights, rapes, murder, um, all of those things that we see, aggression. Like I know so many people that once they drink too much because it's such an irritation, they have to fight or they have to do something that's just not in their normal essence because they're not them. Their soul isn't in their body anymore. And it's like, why do we need to get together to black out and forget? Why can't we get together and drink some cacao or some tea and bond over that and have just like really deep soulful conversation instead of like needing to have this mask that's not even us. It's not even our truth. 
it's an interesting i mean i feel like it's just like life in itself no one ever said it was going to be fun no one ever it's going to be easy no one ever said you're going to be happy no one ever said you're going to be rich you know no one ever said no one fucking said that shit's going to be good so when we grow up and we grow out of that like adolescent phase kind of ignorant and ignorance is bliss and then once we start growing into our young adult years i feel like we don't have you know that innocence has left us we want more life is kind of boring it's pretty hard and we just want to escape you know and the longer we escape the less boring and hard life seems Mm. because you know prior to getting sober i had never fully dealt i had dealt with emotions now that I'm super fucking sober and when I'm doing something that's really challenging, dude, dealing with emotions is no joke. It is worse than any physical pain I feel. It is not fun. And the first couple of times that I had some really challenging experiences in sobriety where gnarly emotions came up, I was so ill-equipped to deal with them. Like I wanted to go jump in front of the train. Like it, I was not, I had not learned how to deal with my emotions. And so I think a lot of people, not know for their own, we don't know how to deal with our emotions. So having something to like drown them out, it's like anyone would take that. Do you want to feel like shit? Or do you want to mask that and just have fun? The answer is pretty obvious. <laughs> And like you said, boredom, a lot of people that aren't willing to just sit with boredom feel like they need to fill it with something to numb out that boredom. Yeah. I'm never, and I'm sober. I'm never bored. Never. Like I don't get bored. I like, I like, I like being fully present all of the time and knowing exactly what I did, exactly what I said, exactly where I was, exactly who I was with. I don't ever have to wonder anything. And so now the thought of compromising like my consciousness just seems like, fuck no, you know, that's like, what a, what a way to like give up my (laughs) control, (laughs) you know, but before all I wanted to do was give up the control over my mind because I was so uncomfortable, you know? So I wanted to release that control to alcohol or, you know, drugs to be able to not have to be in control and just be able to let loose. So wound up so tight. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's like, why can't we just meditate if we need to loosen up? Or why can't we just have a dance party instead of, you know, a drink? Because it's hard. If, if, if going inward was easy, everybody would do it. But the truth is, here's the truth, everyone, if you can take one away from this podcast, like the hardest, the answer is always within, period. Nothing external will ever fill that, you know, that void. So no matter how long it takes us to realize that, even if we realize it, 
we're still like I'm conscious of this fact. I'm aware that no external thing my internal void and with that I'm still willing to try still willing to shop as much as I do I'm still willing to eat as much as I do I'm still willing to watch Netflix as much as I do but the truth is if looking inward was easy everyone would do it but it's the hardest thing that's why so many people are unhappy because it's the hardest thing to just look inward we don't want to look you know and and the fucked up truth is that's where the answer is where the peace lies that's where the happiness is that's where you know the spirituality will fill us up Mm, I completely agree with that and I heard that for so long and it sounded so cliche although the more I do the work it's usually always there I already know the answer if I just ask myself yeah I mean, the car I just bought, like, it doesn't make me happy. <laughs> you know, the, all the shit I have, like, it doesn't make me happy. I'm not, like, just happy because I have a nice new car. I'm not happy because I just went to Scotland or because I furnished an apartment. Like, those things don't, they make me excited in the moment. But now I've done all that, they're not still making me happy. I'm ready for the next thing <laughs> and I'm going to be ready for the next thing until I decide to fully just, you know, surrender and go inward. But, you know, I go inward in my classes and, but I'm, I'm going to keep, you know, going to keep searching externally forever. Probably there's no it's progress, not perfection. Oh, it's so cool to see you be so adult and so <laughs> full of wisdom. <laughs> Aww, thanks. Yeah, you're welcome. And you're such a businesswoman. I would love to know if there's anything that you'd want to share as an entrepreneur that's really helped you within your business. Um, hmm. I mean, <clears throat> this is... So emotions out of your business policies is very important. Um, this pandemic has, has tested a lot of businesses, obviously, and all of them aren't going to make it because they're not willing to stick to their policies that are set in place to make their business survive and thrive. Um, keep things professional be yourself, you know, my business, I just get to be myself because there's no hiding this. Mm. <laughs> there's no, dull, there's no dulling me down. <laughs> there's no hiding who I am. And if you are who you really are, your people, um, and they will stay mm. and the people that aren't meant for you, they'll find somebody else. There's enough for everyone. Mm. Oh man emotions it sounds like was a big one and then stick true to your policies and it, it sounds like you don't have to hide who you are which is so beautiful and I love that that's what a lot of us as entrepreneurs love to do is dive into something we can just 
fully be ourselves and not have to filter anything. And that's why I really love podcasting as well, because it gives people that inside scoop on what's really going on even deeper. Yeah. And I, I think that with, with this exposure, you know, being, being able to be yourself and being able to expose your personality, you know, there's parts of our lives that obviously we, we, we don't need to tell everything. And I like to share a lot of my life with my followers, my, my friends, but you don't need to overshare. And I think that be showing up as myself on social media has gotten me the greatest chance, but it's also shown the people who are following me can say hiring me like, this is what I'm like. Like, I want you to know ahead of time so that you don't show up and be like, whoa, <laughs> because I do have an intense personality. It is a big personality. It's not like, a soft, docile personality. And people need to know that because I am not for everyone. And that's, I'm really happy about that. I don't want to be for everyone, but I also want the people who, who choose me and who I choose back. Like I want us to know this is a safe space to just be yourself. And I think that's why I've had great success with my clients is because they being myself and they go, just be ourselves too. You know, there's no reason to fake it here. Mm. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing all of that. So as we begin wrapping up, I would be curious to know, what, what did you want to be when you were a child? Mm-hmm. Well, I wanted to be a singer and I wanted to be a mom. <laughs> it's so Aww. weird. And I wanted, you know, Gilmore Girls. Um, <laughs> wanted to be a marine biologist. I really wanted to work with like whales and dolphins. Um, but obviously you guys heard about my schooling experience. <laughs> it was less than um, progressive. So yeah, marine biology, I think that was my biggest one. I really just love animals and something about like whales and dolphins and their intelligence really appealed to me and you get to see them at the beach photo shoots <laughs> and <laughs> <Dolphin>. enjoy them <laughs> I always told my couples I'm like hey I have a really small attention span so if I see a dolphin like we're stopping for a second. <laughs> <laughs> I love that and what advice would you give to your younger self hmm Mm. (laughs) Um, just that you don't know what you don't know and you for sure do not know as much as you think you know and the way that you view life and everything within it is going to change right now the way that you see life and see people and relationships will transform throughout your life don't make any infinite decisions right now hint hint tattoos (laughs) don't get (laughs) married (laughs) things change um and i don't mean get don't get married now i mean back then (laughs) and uh yeah, just that, just that things will evolve and more will always be revealed and 
nothing is permanent and it gets better. So keep going. Hmm. And stop calling yourself fat because if you think you're fat now, just wait. Oh, <laughs> <It's gonna get> <laughs> I was so thin and I still thought I was fat. And looking back, I'm just like, wow, I would do mm. anything for that. Mm. It seems like when we're most tuned into everything, we're almost the most critical on ourselves. And then looking back, we're like, wow, I really was so beautiful and didn't even realize it. Mm -hmm. And you still are so beautiful and your body is perfect. So (laughs) I love myself now than ever. I don't, there's no part of me that hates myself. And I think that's the biggest gift of sobriety and becoming an adult and having a partner that loves the way that I look. Mm, You guys are so cute together. (laughs) Who has been your greatest influence or mentor? For sure, my parents. I mean, they, there's no boundary of what I can't talk about with them. There's no fear in, you know, disclosing any information. I, we talk every day, if not multiple times a day, and they're just so wise and helpful. And I mean, I couldn't think of better people to know or to have as parents. I'm just super lucky. Hmm. I love that most of my guests have said their mom Hmm. or their parents. That's so precious. And would you share with us any offerings that you have at the moment? Hmm. 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 (laughs) Offerings. Well, um, as Melissa mentioned, I am a wedding and elopement photographer. So I take pictures of people in love and it's fun. And so if you are a person and you are in love and you want photos and you like the vibe that you felt while listening to this podcast holler (laughs) i have a camera and i will take your picture um also i do quite a bit of work with female entrepreneurs who you know need branding photography for their small businesses um i also photograph families so if you're a couple and you have a child or a dog they can come too Mm. And I love how within your gram that you can really see that you really embody that love is love, no matter what gender, sexuality, orientation, that you really bring up the magic of every couple. So that's huge because, and I'm glad that that shows because in the, in the wedding industry, white heterosexual couples are the norm. And I seem to attract all the interracial lesbians, which is awesome because I there's no there's no difference I don't feel I've I've grown up with the beautiful outlook that you know gay is no different from straight we just it just is what it is there's no there's no better greater lesser more weird it's all the same and since I believe that it's you know it's great Mm. I've always had such a a love for people that have had to grow up in a society where that has had a religious shame or any kind of shame and to know that people have to have that much courage to just be themselves. Like I just have so much 
empathy and compassion for people that have have to go against unfortunately the grain of what society says otherwise and I really love that you're on board with that too yeah it's 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 hard for us to stand as white females we're so privileged you know Mm. and so it is hard to understand the the struggles that some people have to go through whether they're gay or trans or you know african-american or whatever it is and i just wish that we just all looked at each other like we're the same because we are period yeah and support earth not just where we come from but just the planet that we come from and humanity as a whole and animals and animals (laughs) the furry creatures the feathered beings all of it any books or resources that you would love to share with our listeners? You have a mentorship program, right? For anyone wanting to become a photographer? Yeah, I forgot to mention that. Um, but I do offer mentorships. Um, if you are wanting to have a photography business, I'm actually working on a guide right now that's going to be called a step-by-step guide for exactly how to start a photography business. Um, And also after that, there's going to be a guide for how to show up to a wedding and photograph it because there's no teachers for us photographers. There's no court, like there's nothing that spells out what we're supposed to do. It's all just like Google and like figuring it out as you go, which I know is normal for business, but I wish that I had these um, tools when I was newer. And so, yeah, what was the other question? (laughs) Any favorite books or resources about what we talked about today, whether it's photography, sober living, anything? Yeah. Um, So the book that helped me get sober is big and it's blue. And that's all I'll say about that. But if you want a book that's kind of more new age, easy to read, like digestible, funny, fun, The book Recovery by Russell Brand is really good. I 10 out of 10 recommend that book. Um, It's like, it's a great book. Russell Brand, gotta love him. Um, And let's see what else. You know, um, I'm not, the five love languages. (laughs) Um, The, what is the one by Don Miguel? The four agreements agreements yep and uh i don't know i'm like i'm on audible and podcasting kick these days so off the top of my head they're not there but if someone's really interested in what books i recommend just hit me up and i will compile a list for you (laughs) and how can people connect with you on instagram and the interwebs on the interwebs, um, they can go to my website, which is www.katieiredalephotography.com. <laughs> um, Iredale is spelled I-R-E-D-A-L-E. And then on Instagram, my Instagram is K-A-T-I-E-I-R-E-D-A-L-E-E because Katie Iredale with one E was taken by a bot who I have Mm. tried to report and I cannot get her canceled. (laughs) (laughs) Darn it. (laughs) And I think that's where I'm at on the interweb. 
Awesome. All of that will be linked below. And if you have any links to your offerings as well, um, if you want to send those my way, I can add anything to the show notes that you would like me to add. And what I would really love to leave our listeners with today uh, is if you have anything that you would like to offer up or channel through that you feel like would help humanity as a whole, especially during these challenging times of quarantine. Yeah. Um, how much longer do we have? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> right? um, I would say some things that have really stuck with me over time as I've gone through, you know, 500 hours of yoga training, as I've gone through, you know, tons and tons of hours of personal development, um, therapy, all that stuff is they're all pretty simple statements. One is decide not to decide. There's no rush ever to make a decision. You can just decide not to decide because more will always be revealed. And also that if things were meant to be different, they would be. And anytime I remember that, it brings me peace because you know, acceptance doesn't mean approval. It just means that I'm willing to accept what is. And uh, let's see, there was one more, but now it's leaving. I mean, this too shall pass. It is what it is and it's perfect. But yeah, my favorite one is for sure. If things were meant to be different, they would be. And if any of you guys out there, you know, do have a higher power, I choose to call mine God not the one from the Bible, but if, if you have faith, you know, faith and fear are, it's like a, it's like a coin. There's like fear on one side or faith on the other, and they can't be super present at the same time. But what I like to say is like, I'm like a fish out of water, right? I'm like, fear, faith, fear, faith, fear, faith. <laughs> but when I, when I connect back to that power and I know like I'm going to be taken care of. There's nothing else to argue. After that point, I'm just putting myself through agony. <laughs> mm. oh, all of that resonates so deeply, accepting what is and that everything is as it should be, especially the part where you said, decide not to make a decision because I'm so eager to make a decision to move on. So I so appreciate those words. So thank you so much. Yeah. And I have one more thing actually is about honesty and integrity. There's nothing I've ever loved more about myself than my commitment to being honest. I no longer lie. I no longer cheat. I no longer steal. I no longer, you know, omit. I don't do any of that and the it feels so good there's never a reason that you have to be dishonest and being honest will always get you to where you need to be so if you're a person that struggles with being a, a dirty liar <laughs> you don't have to do that anymore you can really fully just stop and it feels really good and you never have to feel like a piece of shit ever again mm. I love that the common theme of our conversation is choosing a high or choosing freedom. And I love that you've chosen the path of freedom through honesty, through sobriety, 
and you know just creativity all these any words <laughs> any, any. I wouldn't say I'm free from like Nordstrom's rack or RAI <laughs> and I need them to open <laughs> right oh man I love your honesty and your authenticity all those icity words yeah. <laughs> I love you and this has been fun you've broken my podcast cherry Yay! I'm honored. <laughs> we'll have to have you on mine whenever I uh, make that shit happen. Yes, I would love I would love to. And as soon as you get your podcast name up, I would love to share that in the show notes too. So our listeners can can continue to fall in love with you. Can continue yeah. to fall in love with you. <laughs> I love you so much, Katie. Thank you so much for being on today. Yeah, I love you. Thank you for having mm. me. I'm so mm. happy to watch you grow into the human you're becoming. Mm. Same here, sister. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So just to quickly break it down for you guys, this episode's takeaways include Katie's journey from hating her job and in her free time, taking photos and editing them on her phone to now becoming a high-demand wedding and elopement photographer. Katie going from party animal, abusing drugs, regularly drinking to black out, and seizing up from alcohol withdrawal to now thriving in sobriety. Spiritual awakening and radical life shifts through yoga teacher training. Finding happiness in completely new lifestyle along with recovery. Business tips, being yourself, navigating emotions, and a pandemic as an entrepreneur. Choosing a path of freedom through faith, acceptance, and an inner knowing that we will always be provided for. If you loved this episode, share it with someone. If you leave a comment on iTunes, I'd love to send you a gift. Take a screenshot and email me over at melissa at awakenmysoulcoaching.com and I will send you the freebie straight to your inbox. My gift to you for being a supportive sister goddess. I read all of my reviews and I'm truly lit up by you. Thank you for sharing and see you on the next episode.